Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. This week we are brought to you by, drumroll, Warheads. I think they were called Warheads. Those sour candy things. Do you remember those, Paul? Those you things think, were intense. Why are you talking about them like Warheads don't exist anymore? They very much still exist. I'm not... They still exist. I'm not like a big sour candy guy, but I remember being in in third grade or so, probably, and and those first came out, and everyone was like, "Oh, can you do the super sour one?" And it was like a big deal on the playground. Yeah, my brother John's a big Warheads fan. Oh, are you? No, you don't seem like it. I'm, this one doesn't. Like, it, this one didn't do it for you. I'm like you know chocolate type of guy. This 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 sponsor left a sour taste in your mouth. I apologize. Moving on, uh, big week in MLS. Week four of the season we're heading into. Champions League quarterfinals have wrapped up. It didn't go so great for MLS teams. We'll talk about that in a bit, along with some of Jim Curtin and Gabriel Heinze's beef, I guess we could call it, um, as well as a few kind of under-the-radar things that are sticking out. But MLS this week is pretty heavy on the rivalry matchups. You've got Red Bull against Toronto, Armis against his old team, We've got Vancouver, Montreal, a little bit of a Canadian matchup. Dallas against Houston, Orlando, NYCFC, 2015 expansion battle. The big one, Galaxy, LAFC. And then you have Miami, Atlanta, Portland, Seattle, and Kansas City, Austin. Beasler returning returning back home to Kansas City to take on sporting. Um, so quite a few big matchups, a lot of national TV games this weekend, Paul. Which game are you most looking forward to? And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about El Trafico. So I'm going to I'm going to remove that from the list because we're going to spend a lot of time outside of El Trafico. Which one are you most looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, I think um if you take El Trafico out, I think I probably am most excited. I don't want to fake it. I don't want to like lie about what I'm excited about. I think you always have to be excited about Portland against Seattle. I think that's that's always but I'm a little bit I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little bit disappointed in the Timbers for ruining my preseason prediction that they would win a treble. Um by, by <laughs> Yeah, that one's up in smoke already. So that one's gone, it's done. So I, I'm I'm gonna say Miami at Atlanta. I mean it's not it's not done. I mean it is done. they could still win a treble. No, they can't. What treble are they gonna win? They can win I mean, Open Cup still might happen, maybe. We don't know. I'm counting that as not happening, uh, so it's over. Supporters' Shields but, and MLS Cup. Well, my but, prediction you know, was about a few It's going to be hard. Yeah. You can't, yeah. can't win the support. They can't team. win a treble with nine wins anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Portland-Seattle should be going. I'm a little less interested in that one just because the Timbers are coming off of a game on Wednesday night at Club America. They're going to be tired. I'm not sure if that's going to be the, the best game. I'm looking forward to Atlanta-Miami I mean, and... Yeah. Orlando NYCFC, actually, I think. Those are two of the ones that stick out to me. Um, but anyway, we can talk a little bit more about that later. The main matchup of the weekend is El Trafico. LA Galaxy hosting LAFC, the Crosstown Rivals. It's a new regime for the Galaxy. It's kind of a weird start for LAFC. We don't know if Carlos Vela is going to play. He hasn't played since the first 20 minutes of their first game. Diego Rossi made his debut last week after coming back from injury. He definitely looked a little bit rusty in their draw at Houston. Paul, you and I are writing about both sides of this rivalry this week. You are writing a piece on LAFC. I am writing a piece on the Galaxy. Those will hopefully be out by the time you are listening to this. But it's two very contrasting clubs at this point in time. And I want to start 
with your piece on LAFC and kind of where they're at in their roster build and how they're transitioning or trying to transition from sort of phase one of being this high-powered expansion team into whatever's next. And we, we'll get in more after the fact about how that's so different from where the Galaxy are at as an organization at this point. Though. Yeah, and before any of you non-LA fans or fans of teams in flyover country say, I'm going to go ahead and skip out of this podcast. Flyover country is an offensive term, well, by the, the way. From I don't appreciate it. All are the ones tweeting me that they, we don't pay attention to flyover country. Where I live, by the way. I, I don't know if Chicago counts as that, but I live here. So I mean, O'Hare is, is like the fly in and then fly out country, I think. <laughs> right. But this is, I think this is a, a cool episode because it goes into roster building and team building and culture building mechanisms and processes that apply across many, many different MLS teams. And especially if you are a fan of an expansion team or a team that's come into the league in the last, um, you know, five or six years, I think this applies to your teams as well. Or, or one that, or one that's existed since 96. Right. Like right. When we get to the galaxy talk, I think we'll, we'll go into kind of the rebuilding side of MLS, which is a, a totally different conversation. And that's why Sam and I wrote these two stories because we think it, it very much is about process and roster building and, and kind of what goes into that and what can go right and what can go wrong. So that's where we're headed with this conversation. And with LAFC, what's interesting is really what is happening in LA is kind of a byproduct one of simply being an expansion team and two of success. And usually when you are in a capped league and you have success, you run into problems with the cap because it means that many players are performing well and thus need new contracts and raises and you can't give everyone a raise, right? You hit a point where you start to have to look at the valuation of players and say, okay, we're not going to be able to give this player the raise that they want, or we we don't think that raise is, fits well into the structure of the rest of our team. And so, like Walker Zimmer would would be a good example example of that for LAFC, right? He wanted a big raise. Sure. You look at it, you can you can get a million dollars of allocation money in a trade, and you say, for what our team is doing, this is a move we have to make in anticipation of giving many other raises across the rest of the team, right? Let's keep blessing. You have cap casualties, right. basically. Let's keep blessing got a contract. Mark Anthony K got a new contract. Tristan Blackman got a new contract. This is a part of the expansion build. And when I was spoke to John Thorrington yesterday about kind of where LAFC is in that build, what you have to remember is... John Thorrington, for those who don't know, is their GM and now, I believe, co-president, co-president. is yes. the title, officially. Sure. Yeah. And And... What happens is usually when you kind of reach a a status quo as a team, you've been existing for four or five years, kind of where LAFC is now, you start to have more players who are coming and going. And so contracts are are on a staggered timeline. And that allows you, you know, three to five additions per year and three to five departures per year. And you kind of add and, and subtract and add and subtract and try to maintain that equilibrium. But when you come in as an expansion team, you're doing a lot of contracts at the same time. And so especially when we're talking about the really important core players of the team, a lot of times those contracts are coming up at the same time or near the same time um, and require a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a reset button, but they, they, they create these windows where you want to build towards a, an MLS cup and then you you know in the back of your mind okay, we're going to have to make some adjustments. And that doesn't mean you're not trying to win MLS Cup the next year, but it means the characters are probably going to look different. And 
that's where LAFC is right now. They have some contracts that are coming up at the same time. Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, Edward Atuesta, all players who were there for the inaugural season. Um, and then they have the interest. Atuesta is up this year. Correct. And Vela is, Vela is next year, I believe, right? I w- John Thornton wouldn't comment specifically, but there are reports that Vela could be up this year. They might have an option. I think they're reaching a point with Vela where it does them a better service probably to renegotiate that deal with some guarantees rather than pick up. Yeah, pick you up don't necessarily want to go into the final, into the final year. year of yeah. the contract, right? So when you look at LAFC, what what what's happening now is they're looking at the summer window where they could potentially lose multiple players via sales. And, you know, they might also have to make some decisions on guys if they continue to play well and challenge for MLS Cup, who even a guy like Mark Anthony Kay or Latif Blessing, who have already had their deals redone once, you know, might start to get into that Walker Zimmerman territory where, you know, they can get more value somewhere else right. than they can in re-upping them again. And so, you know, they're, I think they're approaching a point where there could be more turnover than they're accustomed to. And that's a good thing in a way, but it's also one of the unique challenges of managing the roster of an expansion team in the first five or six years of existence. And and before I pass it over to you, Sam, I want to say like, what's crazy is like, you have a successful team in LAFC and a really successful expansion franchise in Seattle. By the time Seattle got to its fourth season of existence, it had six players who were on the roster in the expansion season that stayed on the roster by the fourth season. For LAFC, it's seven. So that just shows you the amount of turnover that happens when you build a roster from scratch. I would have guessed more. Me too. When I went into it, I kind of expected it to be way bigger. But, you know, part of that is just kind of some older veterans kind of turned over. They made a couple trades. Um, The back half of the roster, the reserve guys kind of filtered in and out. They added, you know, Sure. That that six and that seven kind of are core players. Both when you look at Seattle, what was there, guys like Ozzy Alonso and Brad Evans were were a part of that group. And and here with LAFC, Atuesta, Rossi, Vela, you know, all a part of that group as well. Mark Anthony K, blessing, all guys that are part of it. So um, you know, it's it's an interesting part of the build for LAFC right now. Lyle agrees with you. He's super into LAFC. Uh so if, I have a few things for you here. When I think of LAFC and, and their whole model, their whole design, they've been upfront and public about this, is that they were going to sell some of these guys down the road. They're now three plus seasons in. They haven't done it yet, right? It, like w- the clock's sort of ticking for some of them. They're like Rossi and Atuesta are kind of getting up there in terms of being players that are going to move for big fees in their age. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And I think kind of the tension i think the tension with lafc is they haven't won yet they won the shield they had the best regular season ever in 2019 but they haven't won mls cup they haven't won they they came close to champions league in december they didn't win agonizingly short they haven't won a knockout competition yet they haven't won a big one and so there's this tension of okay yeah a part of our model is to sell but we need to win too and ownership is motivated to win. And so how do you strike that balance? And and I think Atlanta is a good example here, right? Of a team that nailed it, like absolutely nailed it. Where, all right, year one went well, 
they weren't quite ready yet. Year two, they came out like gangbusters. They were incredible all season, won MLS Cup. At the time, maybe the best single season in MLS history. 2017 Toronto would quibble with that for sure, but right up there. And then they sold Almiron right after, and they were able to kind of, you know, have the model and have it work. And LAFC, they've sort of been delayed because of the lack of playoff success. Yeah, but I think what's most interesting about this story is we talk a lot about that, that conundrum of trying to balance winning now with building for the future, right? Like that's what it's all about. And every MLS team does that, right? You, you, you try to make that balance of the present and you have to plan for the future if you're a general manager. Right. right but that's the, that's the real tension with selling players sure. mid season, especially what you know? it's been amplified to your point, Sam. Part of the reason it's been amplified is because of COVID. The plan, realistically, the plan for LAFC was that last year was kind of the crescendo of this group of players, right? The intention was play through last year. It's going to be, you know, Rossi's like big season and then he was going to be sold and, you know, all the things that we're still talking about and COVID hits. And so the transfer market essentially disappears, right? The buyers that were there are pretty much gone for a lot of the kind of mid, even to low high range, like Rossi was $20 million price range. You know, that, that market was not existent. And so now they're sitting in this interesting place where they've had to stretch out that window to get to that proof of concept territory, right? Of being able to develop and sell. And at the same time, they haven't won MLS cup because last year was like a bizarre, you know, bizarro season. And, you know, I thought Thorrington brought up an interesting point where he was like, look, I mean, they haven't won for many reasons. They weren't very good last year. Vela missed basically the yeah, whole and season, he, but he they brought weren't up an interesting year. point about, you know, if I had had a gla- uh, crystal ball and I was building my roster, having a bunch of young guys from um, foreign countries who would come to the training facility train and go home and not be able to leave their apartment and had no one to lean on and the struggles that that created, you know, maybe I would have built it differently with domestic based players who had their wives and their kids and a little bit more balance in their lives. And, you know, he felt like those dynamics really played into last year, but, but I still think interestingly, like there is, it's basically extended that tension now and amplified it a little bit Mm -hmm. of, do we sell in the summer, right? Do we sell Rossi and Atsuesta and and Brian Rodriguez and and maybe a guy like Palacios or two of them or three of them? And and they have all these right. contingency plans of okay, if we sell one, here's the guy we'd replace him with. If we sell two, this is what we do. And and yet you're you you know he says you're dealing with this idea of we want to win an MLS Cup trophy that's in December and we're facing these decisions in July, you know. And that's right. the that's yep. the problem, and 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 I think um, it, it just makes for a really uniquely kind of soccer problem and uniquely MLS because they are balancing right now the the normal pressures of being a successful team in a capped league, which forces turnover in itself, with the pressures of an international global market when you play in a non-international calendar. So you're potentially losing players in the transfer market in the middle of your season. And it's kind of converging yeah. together. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I hope to examine a little bit of like, you know, how do you approach this window and, and, and how do you, you know, they also, there's a benefit here, you know, it's a musical chairs, right? So the teams that want to buy LAFC's players have to sell their players first to fund it. So they need the teams above them to buy. And then, LAFC's players would potentially be sold and then they'll take that money and go into markets that are, 
you know, they could be selling to Europe where the market is starting to bounce back a little bit and then going to buy in South America where the market's still depressed a little bit. And so there is a little bit of excitement of of maybe finding the right players and finding right players for good prices yeah. like Toronto FC just did. So some really interesting dynamics going on with LAFC in that it's like really high expectations to win, but also some serious expectations about selling and proving the model. For sure. And for anyone wondering, well, why don't they just wait until the winter to sell? Why not just wait until after the season? The summer is a much easier time to sell. More teams are in the market. It's it's the off season in Europe. So there's more player turnover. More money is being spent. Um, and for individual players who are leaving MLS and going to Europe, it's far preferable to go in the summer when you have a full preseason and you can integrate with the squad properly and you don't have to arrive in the middle of the year when you're not fit and you're dropped into a new team mid-season and you might not get along that great, right? And, and you're sort of wasting six months plus of your career and that's precious time. So that's, that's why these summer moves tend to happen. It's going to be fascinating. You know, I wrote about this, I guess it was probably summer of 2019 now, after Carlos Gruezo was sold by Dallas. And Dallas is a in a different spot in the hierarchy of MLS than LAFC, right? They're a good team. They're challenging for the playoffs. Of course, they want to win, uh, but they're not like a top contender for MLS Cup. They feel comfortable moving players in the summer. First of all, Gruezo isn't Diego Rossi or Edward Etuesta in terms of his level of impact. It's a bit easier to replace, but because their academy is a lot more mature, right? And you saw that again last year with Reggie Cannon. Right. Where you can sell Reggie Cannon down the stretch in MLS and not worry about it at all because, oh, there's Brian Reynolds right behind him and he's going to perform so well. And so interestingly that we're going to sell him four months from now for six times what we sold Cannon for. Uh, so having a mature academy can really help in this process. LAFC, they're four years old. They're obviously not there yet. I will be curious to see where that goes longer term. But, you know, even if they had an FC Dallas level academy, you're not replacing a Diego Rossi or an Edward Atuesta with a homegrown player. It's a different, different level. Oh, but I would say, like, again, you look at the roster moves that LAFC has made. You know, they had a couple of years ago one of the youngest teams in the entire league. You know, we talk about LAFC because they operate at these higher price points at the Carlos Vela level and Diego Rossi level of purchases. And what we don't see is like a lot of their signings are younger players, albeit many of them from abroad, but they've added some players like Bryce Duke and some of their own homegrowns who have come in. And they're sure. They're, you know, and this is a strategy that arguably hurts them come playoff time. Sure. And, 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 they, but the idea is right. Like you sign some, some younger players and when you sell out to Westa, you hope that you've developed those younger players to step right into the starting lineup. Right. And that's the idea. And now I think, you know, part of the discussion yesterday with Thorrington was about how how young money has changed this right and and you know from my perspective when you look at some of the signings that that LAFC has made it feels like young money has opened up some targeted allocation money because that's where they were buying guys like Palacios um they were using that TAM on those that level of player yeah Cifuentes Cinella Cifuente, are all, were both TAM players who now are young money players right and so now that TAM that was being used... So they are, they're young money players now. I did, He didn't confirm that they're officially young money, but those types of signings, and I would imagine that, yes, he grandfathered those players in, are, are now and will be in the future young money signings, right? And so that 
that TAM that you had allocated to signing those younger players can now be allocated elsewhere. And maybe you go a little bit more veteran. Maybe you add some, you know, some guys who are, you're not going to be able to add an in your prime star, but you can add some players who are a typical TAM player, more typical TAM player and add a little bit more balance to your team where you have some of those veteran pieces for late in the season. Interesting. Um, So it's, there, there are all sorts of kind of intricacies to, to this roster build that's happening, you know, as always at a time when the league rules are changing and modifying and you're kind of altering <laughs> your build to keep up with it. You know, it's a, it's a living document. They're, they're not rules, Paul. They're guidelines. That's, that's right. And that's they can the be keyword changed or altered at any time at the discretion of the league. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I don't, that's, that's an interesting dynamic that you bring up about young money and Sam. I'm not sure how many teams that will apply to. Because LAFC was one of the few that was spending TAM money on these young money eligible age-wise, salary-wise players. Most of that TAM was going to more veteran guys. So I'm not sure that that would apply to many folks besides LAFC. Um, but it opens up some new worlds for them in an interesting way. Anything else you want to hit on, uh, on LAFC before we, before we take a quick breather and transition to the other side of town? No, I think, I just think that, um, and you, Sam, you made this point earlier. The, the the most interesting part of no matter what happens in the summer, no matter who is sold and who is not and, and who was purchased and who is not, like LAFC lives in a world now where it's MLS Cup or bust. And they very much recognize that. They understand that. And that's been the case for, for two for years. For three now, years. Two, three years now, right? Going back to their yeah. second season. And, 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 and John Thornton didn't shy away from that. He said, I understand that. The coaches understand that. The players understand that. And we want that. And, and he, and he said, by the way, even if we sell players and you look at this as like kind of the second part of our build, that doesn't mean that our goal is an MLS cup the next year too. And, and that's just who we want to be as right. a club. No, th- there's real pressure on them to win and they need to get it done. We talk about this cool project that they have going on and they've done so many things right. But they, they haven't cleared that ultimate hurdle yet. And until they do, that's going to be the storyline around LAFC. We'll take a quick break. Right after right afterward, we'll talk about a club that has cleared that hurdle five times, more than anyone else in MLS history, but is quite far away, I think, from that point at this very time. Of course, I'm mentioning the LA Galaxy. We'll talk about them after the break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. As promised, we'll just jump right into it. We're going to talk about the other side of the El Trafico rivalry. We talked about LAFC and their roster build and all of that stuff. LA Galaxy are in a much, much different place. This was a club... First first two decades of MLS, and particularly for the first half of the 2010s, they were the flagship of MLS. 
They were the most successful club. From 2010 to 2014, Bruce Arena, Landon Donovan, Robbie Keane, David Beckham for the first part of that, won three MLS Cups, two Supporters Shields. They lost another one in 2009 in a shootout. Uh, it's probably the most successful dynasty in league history. They're the glamour team. They're the one that carries the flag nationally and internationally for MLS in terms of brand awareness. And for the last four years, they've been terrible. I think it's fair to say Bruce, Bruce Arena, Donovan Keene, they all left following the 2016 season and the Galaxy lost their way. And now they have Greg Vanny, who was an original player for the club. He was a, a big part of kind of establishing that identity in the first place. He never won an MLS Cup with LA, actually. He lost three finals, uh, but he won a couple supporter shields, an Open Cup and a CONCACAF Champions Cup, which was kind of the precursor to the current CCL. And he's been tasked with sort of writing this ship. And so, you know, a lot of that is roster stuff for sure. I think they've they've switched. They've added 13 new players, I want to say, over the offseason and into the young part of this season. Um, so a lot of a lot of that is changeover. But the main thing with the Galaxy is resetting the culture. And it's just such a different place than LAFC. And as I've been reporting this story that should be out hopefully pretty soon, that was the main takeaway from me. It, it was kind of incredible to hear Greg Vanny and President Chris Klein and GM Dennis DeClose talk about these things. And Vanny basically say, yeah, there's a lot of similarities when to when I took over Toronto in 2014. When he took over Toronto in 2014, that club was ambitious and they spent a lot of money and they had good fan support, but they were a disaster on the field. They had never made the playoffs. They joined the league in 2007. They had never made the playoffs. They were a joke. And Vanny was able to turn them around, Right. Yeah, they were. And, they, Toronto was basically like Orlando City last year, right? Like they had never made the playoffs. They were, yeah. they were worse than Orlando City. They were all perpetually at the bottom. It's, of the it's table. what Cincinnati is. It's what Cincinnati's trending to be, right. basically. Right. You know, it's pretty uh, shocking and, in other and, words, and, to hear him compare the LA Galaxy to that. But that's what he. That's what he inherited, right? And, and he's talking about a club that wasn't that doesn't have a clear vision. Right. That doesn't, it isn't well enough aligned between departments. And, you know, the team doesn't have an identifiable style. They don't have anything going for them in that way. And I talked to Chris Klein about this and he basically agreed with everything. And that's kind of amazing to me for a lot of different reasons because I'm like, well, doesn't the buck stop with, with Klein here on this? But Vanny is coming in and his main thing is kind of changing that around. And Paul, I'm kind of curious what you make. The strategy makes sense, right? But what you make of the fact that it's the head coach that is the one seemingly kind of leading the charge in these in these directions. Well, first of all, I want to say I think one of the most interesting parts of reporting this story for you, Sam, is you went and looked back at some things that had been written before. I wrote this same story when, you know, two or three years ago when, when Dennis DeCloso was first getting hired. You wrote the same story when Dennis DeCloso was getting hired. Uh, and, and before that, when Ziggy Schmidt was brought in, you know, these aren't issues that weren't known and diagnosed. They just never got fixed. And to be fair, to be fair, they have done some work behind the scenes since DeCloso arrived in kind of you know, connecting the dots between the academy and the USL team and the first team in a way that's beginning to pay and, off in MLS, we knew, as we've seen we this season then, so far. And Dennis DeCloso talked about it then, that they had some contracts that they had to wait out 
that were guaranteed that there was going to be a year where there was more roster turnover. And I think they still have a couple more contracts that they, you know, that will. But every team has that. And not not many teams spend as much as the right. Galaxy. I'm saying as from a sporting director perspective, some of the issues of the last couple rosters were not necessarily players brought in by Teclosa that you still, again, you're building a little bit at a time. And like you said, there was sure. a lot of somewhere paid somewhere to, yeah. to the academy to the USL that that pipeline making it real, right? Like they tried it with Anolfo, and they 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 hit the eject. Well, that's the thing. After a half a season, that's the thing. They just there's been no commitment. I think Chris Klein called it belief. There's been no belief in a vision, and so Bruce Arena left. And for so long, Bruce Arena was the identity of the Galaxy, and he was going to build a veteran team with some big stars and his MLS vet guys like Mike McGee and Alan Gordon and AJ De La Garza and what have you, and they were going to be good. And he left, and that how there it sort of revealed that there wasn't a foundation, right? It was him and that roster. And they left and it, and it became a house of cards and it all crumbled. And so they went to this youth movement, right? They promoted Kurt Anolfo. He had been their, their coach for USL. They promoted Pete Vahanis. He had been the VP of soccer ops to GM. And they, they emphasized the USL roster and academy and promoting players from within. And they tried it for 20 games, 20 games. And then they pulled the plug and they brought in Ziggy Schmidt. And he was worse than Anolfo was down the stretch in 2017, actually. Uh, and then he goes into the offseason. He's given GM powers and he builds kind of a more veteran, more sensible kind of Bruce Arena style team, right? Similar to what he had in Seattle all those years. Ola Kamara was acquired. He was, he had scored a ton of goals for Columbus and you had Kamara and he was meant to be the focal point. And you had Gio dos Santos and Jonah dos Santos and Roman Alessandrini and Sebastian Legette and things are looking okay. And then a couple weeks into the season, boom, Zlatan, right? And it didn't necessarily fit the plan, but you're not going to say no to Zlatan. You make it work. And Chris Klein said it to me. They weren't ready for it. They didn't construct it properly around Zlatan ever. And he scored, I think, 52 goals in two seasons. And they missed the playoffs one year. And they finished like fifth the next. They were a one-man team. They didn't ever improve the back line, which is still kind of a mess. And again, no vision. No identity. It's not a team. It hasn't been a team, Paul. It's just been like kind of this weird amalgamation of like, hey, we're the galaxy. We're going to sign some big stars and we'll be fine. And MLS has changed. That's not good enough anymore. Yeah, I think part of it, though, Sam, and we've we've mentioned so many different names here, so many different decision makers, all of them making decisions. And and it never felt like it was like one vision, right? Like like they, they right. were getting in a room and making a decision together, you know, like yeah, like we hear about that's Seattle the through line, man. Time, right, like it was like Ziggy put this roster together. You know, Zlatan is signed by not Ziggy. You know, like those types of things were happening a lot, or like the decision to go to Anolfo and run it this way. And twenty games later, somebody else made a decision that's not the way the Galaxy is going to operate. And right. so I'm going to go back to the question I didn't answer that you asked me before about like Greg Vanny doing this and is this the job of the coach? Obviously, it's not the job of the coach, <laughs> but I do think that. I have been. It's not not the job of the coach, either. right? It's a collective job. But like part of it to me is like I have been a big advocate of this, and I think this is a really good example of why it's the right move for the galaxy. 
when you look around the league, there have been certain teams that have enjoyed a consistent level of success and have created a culture within the club and a way of not just a culture, but a way of operating within a club. And the two best examples of that I wrote about last year and jinxed them both in a way, Seattle and Toronto. Um, and so to go and get somebody who ha- was a, a a big decision maker in Toronto and and basically say I mean he's a huge part of setting that right. he, he's like most important person in setting that sure, really sure and so you you take that and you say we want we're essentially purchasing that knowledge right like we are purchasing <laughs> Lyle's having a big show man Lyle, Lyle he's really lots on of this show this he's a big he's LA lots, lots on of this on. show he, he's an LA dog basically um yeah, I just think that like they purchased that knowledge, right? They purchased that expertise. And so I think it's a good thing that, that Greg Vanny is trying to set that tone and create that culture and be a driver of that in L.A. because that's what they're paying for. They're paying for that experience from, yeah. from, from Toronto. Yeah, 100%. It's just kind of funny to me that it's like this isn't really like this should be the GM and the president that were have been there. Klein's been president, I think, since 2013. Teclosa has been there two and a half years, you know, I, I didn't even get to borrow Scalotto who they brought in and was a, I mean, it was a mess last season. Like the vibes on that team were terrible. Like the body language, everything was a disaster. And you can see the difference already in that way under Vanny just three weeks into the season. And that's, that's been really positive. So I think, I think it was a slam dunk hire. We've talked about this before, but um, it's just kind of weird to me that it like, it's like, why couldn't you figure this out earlier? Um, you know, and then a couple of other interesting notes from this story. There were a few inflection points here where things could have gone so differently. 2017, Anolfo is struggling, right? And they're thinking about making a change. Then when they talk to Bob Bradley and he ends up going to LAFC and this all happened on the same day, all of these announcements. So LA announces that the, Anolfo is out and Ziggy is in and LAFC announces like three hours later that Bradley's the coach. And I th- the Galaxy at some point, maybe after the Bradley announcement, announced Jonah Dos Santos that same day. Um, so that was kind of a wild day in, in LA soccer. <laughs> um, and then a couple years later, after Ziggy's gone, uh, they went after Caleb Porter, right? There's Klein and Porter, who I believe were college teammates at Indiana. They're courtside at a Lakers game, and it looks like that deal's going to get done. And then Porter ends up going to Columbus, and they hire Baro Scalotto. Can you imagine how different things would have been for the Galaxy in recent years had they hired Bob or had they hired Caleb instead of Ziggy and and Baro Scalotto, right? Who knows what it would have looked like? Would Bob have even signed off on Zlatan, right? Would Would he have had the power to veto Zlatan if he wanted to? Right. It's just kind of fascinating to go back and play the what if game uh, with the galaxy. I am very, very interested to see what this club is going forward, because as this is something Vanny hammered home with me, he doesn't see this as like a full teardown. The ceiling in L.A. is fantastic. Right. And it's not like they have bad play. Like they have some good players on this team. Right. So it's going in and it's just being the word he used a million times was clarity. Right. Clarity and style of play. Clarity within that style of play in terms of the individual elements, clarity and communication, clarity between the 
sports science in the medical department and the ticket sales staff and the first team and USL and the academy and MLS and all of these things, just kind of creating a culture in that way. And it's a hollow term, but it's going to be uh, curious to see if he can pull it off. He did in Toronto. It's a big job that he has on his hands in LA. Sam, are there lessons that you think you, you heard in this reporting this um this story that apply to other teams that have maybe struggled the last couple of years and yeah MLS. i mean dude this is universal and like it sounds corny like this like to closest said it to me he's like culture and identity these are hollow terms right they're buzzwords they don't mean anything unless you actually go every single day and assign them meaning and basically live up to the standards that you're preaching and i think back to when I was in Salt Lake and Jason Christ was head coach and team is the star. That was the motto, right? It was painted on the walls. It was, you know, it was corny. It was, we kind of would say it as a joke sometimes around the office, but it bled through. And I'm not talking about bleeding through to the players or the trainers or the kit man or anyone on the team side. It bled through in the sponsorship department and ticket sales and PR, everywhere it bled through. And that sort of created this whole identity in Salt Lake at the time, which was, we might be an underdog, we might be the smallest market, we might be we might be on a budget, but we're going to ball. And like, we're going to be better, and we're going to punch above our weight. And that seeped through. And that's what I think of when I think of culture at a club, right? And Vanny was able, I think, to build that, obviously looked different in Toronto. They weren't anyone's idea of an underdog, right? And now he has to do it again in LA. And and it's the daily actions, right? It's the intentions. And it's it's holding people accountable each and every day and staying consistent. And that's the thing the Galaxy haven't had. They haven't had the consistency, right? None of this is rocket science, but it's every single day. Can you pull it off? Can you be consistent? And he's done it before. I think he'll do it there. Yeah. And I think there's some similarities here with what happened in Orlando with Oscar Pereja. Similar type of coach who's been successful in the league, came in, created a culture um, within Orlando, created a consistent playing style. The players didn't change that much. Something else did, you know, and that's that's Greg Vanny's job now is is to create that change, create that consistency, the consistency in the message. Right. That creates an expectation. And then that ex- expectation transfers from the training facility and the offices over to the field on the weekends. And that mm-hmm. leads to results. And, um, you know, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. And Sam, I, I don't want to get into it too much in this episode, but we, we talked about it on our staff call with the rest of the athletic staff today. I do think there is an interesting dynamic here with the value of MLS experience in leadership in your office. Um, I think obviously Dennis DeClosa had experience at Chivas USA and, and Chris Klein has been around for a really long time. Um, but when you have a head coach who came in in Scalotto who, who didn't know the league and you didn't have a lot of direction behind the scenes, even with some of that MLS experience, or there was so much to do behind the scenes that it was overwhelming, mm-hmm. you know, there is a lot of value to be had in a knowledge of the so league much. and a yeah. respect for building 
based on the talent in the league and starting to fill some holes on your roster with guys that you're familiar with who, who you know can be successful in the league via Fania was assigning this year for the LA Galaxy. Even Victor Vasquez, who's not thought of as an MLS player. I think Va- Vasquez really is the one, man. Really important guy who, yeah. who Greg Vanny knew he could count on that would know the system, know the way, knew the league, all of those things. He can be a, cult, he can be a culture soldier exactly, for Vanny, basically. Exactly. Play similar role to what Michael Bradley was in Toronto, essentially. Kind of a conduit from the culture of the leadership onto the into the culture of the locker room. And, and, you know, I, I think a big part of that is just knowing the league, just knowing what you need and knowing who mm-hmm. the guys are that can give you some of that culture on the field. 100%. And to close to set it in our interview, and I didn't put this in the story, but basically he was like, not only does Greg know the rules and the regulations and the obstacles, right? But he understands those in a way that you're able to find the loopholes and turn those regulations and restrictions into opportunities, right? And it makes such a big difference when you can operate at a level like that as opposed to somebody coming in blind. Makes such a big difference. Let's take one more quick break here. After after the break, we're going to talk about two other coaches, Jim Curtin, Gabby Hanze, one one trying to establish a culture in Atlanta, another one with maybe one of the best in the league in Philly, and them kind of, you know, they're beefing. They're beefing, Paul. (laughs) Um, So we'll talk about that and, and run down some other things happening around MLS and CCL after the break. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us to break episode. Big, big show. That's huge for us. We, we were professional about it, despite the dog barking repeatedly. Uh, I mentioned the beef between Curtin and Heinze. So CCL went poorly for MLS. Only one of the five teams what? that made it to the quarterfinals advanced. Yeah, I know. Shocking, right? Only one of the five teams made, that made it to the quarterfinal advanced. That one team happened to be playing another MLS team. So it was guaranteed that one would, would make it through. That team was Philly uh, against Atlanta. Uh, they held on. Um, they, they won one to, one to nothing, I think, or was it one to one? I can't even remember. It was one to one. Uh, but it was four one on aggregate. Uh, Union advanced, made it pretty easy on themselves after that first leg. And Curtin and Heinze were kind of going back and forth a little bit during the game. And our colleague Felipe Cardenas asked Jim Curtin about the little exchange that they had during the match. And Curtin had a long, interesting comment. And I'll just read it in part, in part right now. So he said, of Heinze, he's an incredible coach, an incredible player, but you can still be a sore loser and be an asshole at the end of the game. So I still think there's a right way. I think he should shake hands like a man after the game. They'll probably have to say something to say now that I've said that, but I'm not just going to sit here and take it anymore. Continued on. I think there are great. There's great American coaches in this league. There's great foreign coaches in this league, and I don't want to make anything more of it than that. But you know, it's maybe something that I and then he he switches the subject. But that that line right there. I think there's great American coaches in this league. There's great foreign coaches in this league. I don't want to make. And then he sort of stops himself. Right. It was just. It was what we were just talking about. And, and, and Paul, that dynamic is super interesting to me because there is this complex among, it's not even Americans or Canadians, it's among MLS people versus non-MLS people who are in MLS. And Curtin sort of got at it there. I'm curious what you made of those comments. Well, what's interesting is for a long time, this league was incredibly insular, right? The same people had the same jobs. I used to joke about it. I used to joke that when we went to the scouting combine, you had to look at their polo shirts to see which assistant coaches were with what clubs at that point, you know, because the same guys were kind of moving <laughs> from team to team. And, 
It's still sort of true. And it's still sort of true, but there, it certainly has been made more international on the coaching level and on the sporting director level. And what's more interesting about that is despite it becoming more international, there's really been one coach who came into the league. Well, I would say two coaches who came into the league with no MLS experience and had success. The first and the biggest is Tata Martino, who won an MLS Cup in mm-hmm. Atlanta. And the second, in my opinion, is Patrick Vieira, who I think built a very successful yep. team at NYCFC. Sporting director-wise, I can think of one sporting director who came into this league from outside of MLS and had success, um, and that is Ernst Tanner in Philadelphia, who I think has done a phenomenal job since coming into MLS. Maybe I'm forgetting someone, Sam. If I am, please point it out. But You, you probably are, but I can't remember either. That so. matters because despite that record of of not having success, more and more MLS owners are being advised to go international for these these hirings. So you look at FC Cincinnati, which went international. Charlotte has gone international. St. Louis has gone international. And Chicago, Chicago went international. And th- this is coming clearly from the league office, from these consulting firms that are being recommended to these owners to, to hire these people and have them recommend uh, hires. And, and so these, these domestic coaches and domestic GMs who have been successful are saying, wait a second, why are we so undervalued despite the fact that we're winning MLS cups and winning supporter shields? And maybe some of these coaches deserve a, a level of, a level of respect. And I think that's what Jim Curtin was trying to say. He recognizes what Heinze mm-hmm. had, had done in his native Argentina, but he doesn't need to yeah, like incredible playing career, right? And he, yeah. and he had done well in his managerial career, right? He was building a good managerial mm-hmm. career, but he's like, I'm not going to get down on one knee to that. Like I, I won the supporter shield last year. And, and that is what's, that is where this undercurrent is coming from because we're, we're just seeing it happen over and over. Like I will put money down right now. You first of all, you cannot name a team in MLS that has had a foreign coach and a foreign GM and been successful. Like they had both in the office. So, right. I, but I will put money down right now that Charlotte hires a foreign coach to go along with an, uh, an international GM, despite that knowledge. And and like yeah. a non a non MLS is uh, sure, just to clarify because like Oscar Pereja, sure, he's Colombian, exactly. but he's he's an MLS hire, right? Right, right yeah. for sure. And 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 so that to me is like. That's what we're talking about here is like that, that's a level of arrogance, right? To make the same mistake over and 100%. over and over again. To look at all no of the history. No one learns, man. It drives me insane. Crazy. No one learns. Like I was like frustrated the other day. I was talking about the Chicago Fire. Like they've made zero MLS signings. Zero in two years. It's amazing. That's crazy. Uh, excluding homegrowns. Excluding homegrowns who don't see the field. You know, right. one one saw the field last year in Pineda. I shouldn't say zero because Pineda certainly played. Yes, but you know that's that's nuts. And so, like that, that, there's a level of arrogance that we know better than you, despite the fact that history shows when it comes to MLS, you decidedly do not. You decidedly do not. And and it's a it's a level of ignorance too from ownership, in terms of which candidates they should be hiring and which people they should be targeting and which people within the league might be good at these jobs that aren't in them just yet. Um, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Uh, but it is interesting. Paul, I know you have to go soon. You have to run to a press conference and do your journalism job. But before we go, 
let's just run down really, really fast. Some players, some teams, some coaches, whatever. Folks through the first three weeks of the season that are impressing you and maybe flying a little bit under the radar. Let's give out, let's hand out some flowers. Let's give it, give some people some love. Yeah, I'll give some love to a player that I'm writing about right now. Um, and that's Tyler Pasher, the Houston Dynamo. Um, what I like about Tyler Pasher is that he represents this part of U.S. soccer that, you know, I'm sure Jeff Reuter will be glad to hear me talk about this because I've taken an, an antagonistic point sometimes talking about the lower divisions of U.S. <laughs> soccer. But Tyler Pasher, you know, when he was starting his professional career, got moved from from an attacking player to a left back, tried to make it to MLS as a left back, got signed by Kansas City, you know, had a brief run there, went back to the USL and got moved back into an attacking role in Indy. Um, and was signed by Houston and has a real has had a really bright start to his career in Houston. Uh, I just finished talking to Tab Ramos about him. He was just saying, you know, I thought it would take him a little longer to get used to the speed of play. And he came in and wasn't afraid of anything and kind of embraced the challenge and adapted much quicker than anyone was anticipating and gives so much of himself, you know, even when he's having a struggle mm-hmm. on the ball. So Tyler Patcher is a player who, who's kind of stood out to me. It's just a really cool story. Um, and to see him playing the way he's played early on is, is, it has been has been a nice one for for a team, by the way, who I think has has improved a ton from year year over year in that in Houston. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they can keep it up. I have four points to three games, but you know, I think they've been better than expected for sure. Joe Corona, a really big part of that, an MLS experienced player that Tab Ramos went out and identified to help change change things in the culture and the and the kind of approach in that locker room. By the way, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to run down a few here really fast, just rat, rattle them off. Diego Fagundes in Austin um, has been has been interesting. New lease on life after a long time in New England for him. Leon Flock in Philly, I like that one. Really under good the player. radar pickup. Really good player. Um, this is not under the radar, but Christian Roldan has been awesome this year. Awesome for Seattle, especially with Ladero out. I'm curious to see what it looks like when Ladero is now coming back in to the eleven. Rubio Rubin, what a cool story. With RSL, they're two and zero. No one expected that. And Rubin has two goals and two assists in two matches. He was such a hot prospect, had some injuries, and then fell off for a long time. But he tore it up in USL in a brief stint in San Diego last year. And RSL was really high on him all preseason. He's showing why right now. Uh, Olivier Imbizo in Philly. I think that's one that people should keep an eye on at right back. Uh, I think Kyle Dun- Kyle Duncan had some struggles in Week One, but I like what he's brought. For the Red Bulls, the last couple of games, um, Zach Brogiard up in Montreal, left back. He's done some good things. And I'm going to throw a weird one at you, Paul. I like what Miami's looked like. Not necessarily the most aesthetically pleasing, but you talk about culture, right? To loop that back around. They're fighting. They're working hard for each other. They look like a proper team. Uh, Gregory has been good for them. I think he's contributed a lot in that way. Um, and so I like the foundation that's being set there by Phil Neville. So those are the ones for me. I want to throw one more in there. It's a a player that, you know, I think a lot of people would normally overlook that someone like Sam might not truly appreciate, but that, you know, really has caught my eye with his strong (laughs) play early. And that's, uh, that's Nuhu at left center back. I think he's been, no, I was going to do it. Ah, you beat me. (laughs) Oh, he's been awesome, man. I'm so happy about it. Oh, he's been fantastic. Yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't on your list. I felt like I needed to point that out and make sure everyone realized. I mean, that. he was. I was just going to do this grand finale thing. I had it all planned out, and then you, then you came and you ruined it. Uh, you, know, you ruined it. That's what I like to do. After after one person commented on Twitter that last week's episode was the saddest episode ever of Allocation Disorder, 
to come back around with one more, one more cut punch to Sam is, is a real positive way to wrap this one up. Well, thanks, folks, for listening. This has been hopefully not the saddest episode, maybe just the second saddest. Uh, but thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. This has been Allocation Disorder.